It's sequel time. The challenge re-ups Battle of the Sexes to give the women a chance to avenge their loss two years prior in Jamaica. Plus, Johnny Mosley is still wearing sideways hats. Theo and Dan are still better at this than everyone else. The guys go full team unity while the girls go full team self-preservation. Toilet seats are stolen. Jump ropes are everywhere. Coral passes the torch to Tina. And by golly, isn't that Mark Long just the best freaking dude ever? It's the challenge. Season 9, Battle of the Sexes 2, full season rewatch and recap podcast coming at you right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future if it's happening in the challenge universe, then I am here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very much for being here with me today. On today's podcast, we are going back in time to 2004 Santa Fe, New Mexico, and diving deep into the first ever sequel season of The Challenge. That would be Battle of the Sexes 2. We've covered the future on the podcast this week. On Monday, we talked all things new seasons and documentaries coming up. We've covered the present this week on the podcast with Wednesday All-Stars 3 coverage. And now, today, we covered the past as the 2022 Challenge Series rewatch rolls along into season number nine. Only programming note is, uh, before we start here, is next week we will have at least a minimum of one podcast All-Stars 3 recap episode out Wednesday afternoon after the new episode airs that day, morning, whatever you want to say. And then hopefully either next Friday or Monday I will get an Inferno 2 podcast up and out to you to continue the rewatch series. So one, if not maybe two podcasts coming at you next week as well. As for today's agenda. It will remain very similar to all the season recaps have been doing, which means it'll be pretty long. And honestly, this one could end up being the longest of all, uh, not because this season has you know so much more to dive into than others, but just because I'm still figuring out exactly how I want to organize these season recaps, trying to hit all the topics, all the things that I want to talk about with as little overlap as possible, but... If you've been listening to the ones before this, the first eight seasons, you've probably noticed some overlap as of reworked categories or expanded or contracted categories. So um, I will do my best to not end up talking about the same couple people or the same things three times over today. My goal in rambling um, about all of this is uh, that to both give you some insight into the process of how I'm trying to do this. But more importantly, to give you the chance to give feedback. As always, I've started to try to mention as much as possible. would love feedback if you've got something you like, you dislike, you think is a good topic or a bad topic for a season recap or any constructive criticism at all. I'd love to hear it. And there's two places you can share it, either via the comments on the YouTube version of this podcast or by sending me a DM on Instagram at Challenge Historian. I check both those places, and as long as it isn't some, you know, pointless, this is dumb, I don't like you type of comment or message, um, not going to respond to that, but anything else, anything that's actually constructive in any single way, even if it's here's five things I don't like and why, if it's a constructive version of that and real reasoning behind it, would love to hear it, and I will read and respond to anything of the sort. So uh, let me hear your thoughts if you want, but otherwise... Get ready to hear a whole bunch of my thoughts, because as always, 
I've got a lot on another another fantastic season of the challenge. So here we go. Off to Santa Fe, New Mexico to meet our old pal Johnny Mosley for the ninth season of the greatest reality competition show in the history of reality competition shows, The Challenge, Battle of the Sexes 2. Here we go. Kicking things off, let's touch on the state of The Challenge and kind of at this point the state of reality competition uh, where we were at in 2004. Uh, this season was filmed in summer of 2004, summer, fall, summer to fall area of 2004, late summer, early fall, given the location. If they were in the dead of summer, I think we would have known. But at this time, when this is happening, the first thing we got to say is Road Rules is officially dead. Um, technically revived, but it's really dead. This is coming right off the heels of Road Rules Extreme, which was the last kind of quote-unquote real season of Road Rules, and we had Derek, Kina, Angela, Nick, and Abyss all from that season, Road Rules Extreme, on this season of The Challenge. The only Road Rules season that happened after this was the kind of ill-fated Viewer's Revenge that happened two years later, but the end, the contract was up. Road Rules was technically no more. They brought it back because Buna Murray was trying to do this interactive thing. Viewer's Revenge didn't really work all that well, had some major issues and, you know, it popped back up for that season and went away again um, for good. So Road Rules was basically done. They had stopped the contract and not renewed it and basically for the single purpose of we've got the challenge now, that's our competition thing. And whether, you know, they thought they had enough cast members to work with or not, or whether they just assumed, you know, in the future we will start to, this will only be real world people or we'll come up with some other shows to bring people in or we'll just bring people in off the streets you know, they end up doing all of those things in the above. So uh, Road Rules is officially done at this time, more or less. On the other opposite end of the spectrum, Real World is absolutely on fire in the best kind of way. It is on an unbelievable streak. They are now coming off of back to New York, Chicago, Las Vegas, Paris, San Diego. And now at the time of this particular season, they're filming Philadelphia and Austin in this calendar year. So they're in the midst of just, you know, the golden age, the golden era. I mean, the whole first 20 seasons of the real world really were the entire golden era, but they're in the middle of it for sure. And that means the challenge itself was a full-blown staple. It was MTV's, you know, real world was the bread and butter of anything else. This was in the early aughts when they started having the other reality shows take off, the Laguna Beaches of the world and things of that nature were, you know, either beginning or on the precipice of becoming massive, massive things of their own. But the challenge was right there as now a staple of MTV. And it, they had kind of found their rhythm. This season coming off of Gauntlet and Inferno, where Gauntlet and Inferno were quite literally filmed back to back with barely any time in between and then aired literally with no pause in between. We talked about on those, they had the special that was a Gauntlet reunion slash Inferno preview as one episode between the finale and the launch of those. That was the last time they tried to do that and really create that type of sequel atmosphere. And with this one, they obviously went with a sequel of format with Battle of the Sexes 2. First time ever. We'll talk about that, of course, a few times here momentarily. But this one, they took this brief break and then brought it back for Battle of the Sexes 2. And starting with this season, they began doing the steady filming of we're going to do two of these a year, basically one every six months. We're on a six-month rotation here filming, putting it out small break off season, if you will, film put out off season, if you will. 
and running that back for uh, a lot of years to come and not trying to do the one on top of the other, but just having a steady cadence of them. So that, and that really put it as like, this is a staple. We're now on a plan and this plan, we, this is the timeline we do this show on, including the, you know, off season for cast crew, everyone alike. And we run it on this timeline about six to seven months. And we're repeating that for eternity at this point. They're thinking we're doing this forever. That's where the challenge was. And then just for context, elsewhere in the reality competition landscape, Survivor was coming off of their first ever, all. it's called All Stars, but their first ever season of bringing anyone back. And that had literally just finished airing a month or two before this season of the challenge airs. So Survivor's on a real high. They're still averaging 20 plus million people per episode. I mean, it's the biggest thing on television uh, at this point. Maybe, I'm thinking maybe there's a couple scripted shows that might be as big as this, but otherwise it's, you know, professional sports uh, at back at this time, some award shows would get that kind of rating, but pretty much Survivor was the biggest thing television had really. And they were coming off a season where they were kind of stepping a little bit into challenge territory. The real differentiator other than the obvious of, you know, they're getting starved on an Island in one and they're living in a house with a bunch of hot tubs and alcohol and stuff in the other, but similar type of show. The real big difference was the idea of survivors, always brand new people. The challenge is almost never brand new people. And so they're coming off the first season where survivors kind of dipping their toes and challenge like waters by bringing people back. So they had that out in the atmosphere. Fear factor, huge hit at the time, which we talked about on the Inferno podcast was definitely influencing that season and continues to, you can see a little bit of influence here and there on the challenge. And then big brother was in its sixth season and still averaging like nine to 10 million people. Uh, per episode, which is just a massive number. And I don't know the numbers the challenge was doing. It was not that MTV wasn't getting the numbers that a CBS uh, program was just by default of the network that they are a part of. But that is where the whole reality landscape was at. The challenge firmly a part of it. The challenge firmly a staple in the MTV world and has taken over the mantle 100% officially dead and gone as road rules. And the challenge is is the, the bread and butter competition show for MTV. So that's kind of where we were going in. Now let's touch on quickly the basics of this season. Just a quick run through of when this all happened, who was a part of it. First and foremost, as we've said, it was filmed in, in uh, 2004. It was then aired in, from October to October 2004 to January 31st, 2005. Johnny Mosley was back to host for the third and what would eventually be the final time for him hosting this series. It was filmed in Gal- Galisteo, New Mexico, which... They always say Santa Fe. I'm guessing, I haven't actually looked it up. I'm guessing that's right outside of Santa Fe, but technically it's Galisteo. They're in Santa Fe a couple times. They drive in. You can tell they're kind of, you know, way out in the boonies possibly, but for all intents and purposes, they're in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The second season in the United States of the five now at this point where they've been in one single location the entire time. 
And for the second time ever, following in Battle of the Sexes 1's footsteps, we had 36 competitors the, the, tied for the most with Battle of the Sexes 1. Before that, 32 on Battle of the Seasons was the most. I will run through all 36 of them in order of, uh, we'll do men's first, women's second, and how long they lasted in the show to give you a brief overview of just where, where everyone went. So from bottom to the top, first eliminated to last standing on the men's side, we had Jacques from San Diego. We had Ace from Real World Paris, Adam from Real World Paris, Abram from Road Rules South Pacific, Derek from Road Rules Extreme, Sean from Semester at Sea, Mike from Back to New York, Chris from Road Rules South Pacific, Nick from Road Rules Extreme, Frank from Real World Las Vegas, Randy from Real World San Diego, Steven from Las Vegas, Shane from Campus Crawl, Brad from San Diego, Mark Long, OG First Adventure, Theo Vaughn, Maximum Velocity Tour, Eric Nice original New York real world and Dan Setzler road rules, Northern trail. That was your men's team on the women's side. Same thing. First eliminated to last there. Genesis from Boston, Cameron from San Diego, Kina from extreme, Ayana semester at sea, Cynthia from real world, Miami, Angela road rules, extreme, Rachel Robinson, campus crawl, Katie, the quest, Anissa, Chicago, Veronica from semester at sea, Abyss from extreme, Tanya from real world, Chicago, Robin from San Diego, Ruthie from real world, Hawaii, Tina from South Pacific, Sophia from the quest, Coral from back to New York and Arissa from Las Vegas. Those were your 36 competitors, a whole lot of people in two houses on this season. And with that, let's move into then the evolutions, the first and the history that took place on this season before, you know, this will be some high level stuff, but before we dive into true storylines or anything of that nature, let's talk at a real high level. What were some of the things that changed with this season? What were some of the first to have ever happened? What history was made? And there was a good deal of it with this season. Um, not, there's a little less on the evolution side, which we have talked about post the gauntlet and adding eliminations, the evolutions are going to get less and, you know, more infrequent and less per season and more subtle, but there's going to be a lot more, you know, first that are happening and a lot, you know, history can now be made. We're going to talk a couple of statistical things here at the end of this little section. Uh, but for the first time ever, we're really starting to get some people wrapping up some stats some people starting to set some records that maybe held for a long time, maybe broken, who knows, but let's run through it. And the first and obvious one, we've said it a few times. The biggest evolution in the challenge with this season was it was the first ever true sequel. Battle of the Sexes 2 coming off Battle of the Sexes 1. And this season was, while it was the first ever sequel, the first ever to be the second version of the same name and format, it became the fourth out of 10 straight seasons that were all part of what I'm going to say franchises within the franchise. If, you know, if anytime they had a sequel or a trilogy or more, you know, it's a kind of its own little franchise within the challenge franchise. And we started with Battle of the Sexes 1, Gauntlet, Inferno, and now Battle of the Sexes 2. We're going to have Inferno 2, Gauntlet 2, Fresh Meat, Duel, Gauntlet 3, or Inferno 3, Gauntlet 3, all 10 in a row that are going to be a part of some franchise before the next time we have any new or break off one will be the Island in the ruins back to back before capping off the kind of sequel and trilogy era with uh, another duel and another fresh meat. So first ever sequel, that's a big deal and definitely where, you know, the challenge, obviously as the rattle off, we just rattle off all those seasons in a row. It's where the show was headed of, we don't necessarily have one single format, but 
choosing a new format every single season is going to be really hard if we want to do this for, you know, ever. And so why don't we take the best ideas? And when one works, let's do it a few times in a row. Let's see how many times we can do it before it feels a little bit stale. And they obviously, you know, five or six different versions of the show that have had two, three, four, maybe even five, if you really want to think of rivals as kind of had a, you know, vendettas and final reckoning, you know, like, uh, seasons that could have been called arrivals is even up to five times. We've seen that particular format, but first ever sequel, that's a big evolution. The second evolution kind of a first, uh, but a big, a big enough first that it kind of gets its own little category to mention here. The first overnight final, which I can't believe I totally forgot. And I was shocked when I saw this um, for the first time and remembered, oh my gosh, I forgot that that part of this happened. But the first time they ever really stepped up the thinking and the production behind the final mission, and they made the last six people, they told them, hey, we're going to have a nice dinner for you. Get dressed up for the dinner, of which Eric Nice chose to wear a tank top and gym shorts, which is just classic. Everyone else tried to dress up whatever their dressiest thing they brought with them to Santa Fe. And during the dinner, Johnny Mosley comes in with a bunch of people, you know, dressed in like all black special op, you know, gear, throwing plates around, crashing everything, taking them all hostage, leading them into a in a uh, some random barn or whatever that they had the lights out and giving them. This is at you know eight nine o'clock. 10 o'clock at night, put them in this barn, turn the lights off, give them a blanket, some crackers, some water, and tell them just you have to stay in here until we come back. They sleep the whole night there, what little sleep they get. 6 a.m., Johnny comes back, wakes them up, and they begin the final that eventually takes, I don't know, they don't end up getting the planes, jumping out of the planes till about 8 o'clock, and then it takes a couple hours maybe to do the whole thing at most, maybe an hour and a half or so. So they're done by lunchtime, but... They had to spend the night over, and that that counts. That's an overnight final. The final starts at that dinner the night before, and it's on. And so that's a big, big, big first, and something that would you know not be around that often early on from this point, but eventually would become an absolute staple of TJ's finals later in the uh, later in challenge history. Next evolution, then. We will talk about this one much more at length when we talk storylines because it's one of the bigger storylines of the season. But just to mention it here because it is a big evolution, that would be the vets versus rookies is truly a thing in this one. And kind of vets versus rookies or second timers even. But having so many people that are doing either their third or fourth season or in Veronica's case, sixth season, uh, it's very apparent, and it becomes a real storyline, a real talking point, a real reason for voting people in or out who has control of this game. Vets versus rookies, truly a thing for the first real meaningful time ever in the history of the show. Then we've got another evolution. The Daily Challenge prizes get crazy on this season as far as the amount of money and the value there. They're, the prizes have been around for a long time. I think they should bring them back. I love the Daily Challenge prizes. I love getting to have you know the people. There's people that get voted off this season that are like, well, at least I won that one trip. Like when all of us won that one trip and now all, you know, 14 of the women get to get together in Greece at some point after this, if they all want to do it together or individually, either way they want. But the challenges are out of control. And previous seasons had seen some, you know, the occasional like crazy prize amongst some other smaller ones. Um, thinking in particular on Battle of the Seasons, I remember one of them was like straight up like a $20,000 shopping spree somewhere that I believe Danny and Kelly won. And, you know, so there's like the standout ones like that. Everyone on this season is pretty great. 
it's always, you know, two, three, four thousand dollar value, either like a week long trip somewhere, or here's a full like set of gym equipment to build an at home gym, or here's a Vespa or whatever. Really good prizes um, for everyone involved in putting in what makes it so the $180,000 cash prize at the end seems lower and is lower than, you know, the 300,000 or whatever that was up for grabs on previous seasons to this. But total value, while yeah, you'd probably choose the cash, I'd personally choose cash over maybe all these cool prizes. Some are cool, some weren't the greatest. Um, But they definitely got bigger than ever. That definitely evolved in a big way. And then a couple quick hitting just challenge firsts that happened. We had our first ever daily challenge on top of a moving semi-truck. That's a big deal. That becomes semi-trucks. A lot of them are needed for seasons of the challenge these days. And this was the first ever time we saw the contestants have to climb on top of a moving uh, semi-truck and do something on top of one while that semi-truck was moving. Then we had a player leave the show to get married and then come back the very next day. That had never happened before. We had had a wedding on the show, previous Battle of the Sexes. Puck got married. They stopped production and did the entire wedding as an episode of the show. Not maybe the production's greatest decision. If you want more on that, we talked about it at length on the Battle of Sexes 1 recap podcast. But this one, I guess it's just Battle of Sexes marriage is going to come up somehow or some way. We had Chris literally leave the show for 36 hours to go get married and come back, which we will talk about later on. We had a player sacrifice themselves for another team member, give themselves up. Mark, at the end of this, straight up gives up his spot in the final so Eric could be there and Dan and Theo. No one had ever really done something like that before, so that's another first. And then another one, just kind of for a laugh, Mike doesn't make the final or hook up with anyone in the house, and it's his fourth season, and the first time he both does not end up with a girlfriend from the cast and does not end up in the final, so that's a challenge first as well. As far as on the statistical side, there was a lot of history made statistically on this season, and as we referenced a few minutes ago, there's going to start to be with every season, you know, new records being pushed for, for a few seasons here as people start doing their fourth, fifth, sixth seasons, and people start set, racking up wins and all kinds of different things. All different numbers are going to kind of constantly be broken until real big numbers are set, you know, sometime. I don't know when exactly it'll start slowing down, but... I would guess this is going to be the case for a few seasons here in a row. Let's start with the biggest one. Veronica continues to set her own record, break and set her own record. Sixth season for Veronica, who would go on to do the fine, the season after this and end up doing seven of the first 10 seasons. Absolutely wild. Veronica, truly the OG of OGs in the challenge world, our first ever and certified challenge star. Sixth season for her. Coral makes history in this season, making her fourth final, which breaks a tie that she was in with Mike, The Miz, and Veronica. And then we had Theo and Dan who moved to three with this season. So they move up to a tie for second place when Coral moves to first in all time with four finals under her belt. Dan and Theo both joined the two-time champ club along with uh, a Mike and uh, Veronica and a few other people that I'm not going to try to pull back up right now. And then Coral retakes the lead for the most confessionals ever from Mike. Uh, she, at the end of this season, Coral has done 211 confessionals. Mike is at 191 in second. And then third is Emily Bailey at 133 and Veronica at 122. So to say Mike and Coral, when they're on the challenge in these early days, they are the face 
They are the storylines. They are the ones narrating. They are doing the talking is an understatement because they are just way ahead of the pack as far as confessionals and even over confessionals per episode. That numbers still hold up. And then the final one, Theo Vaughn moves to the lead of the most money ever at this point in time, one with $85,555 to his name after this second win for him, surpassing Mike and Coral, who are a little behind him in second and third. Dan moves up to fourth with Veronica, then rounding out the top five money leaders after this season. So that's some of the history that was set statistically, some of the evolutions that happened, your basics, your super high level, all of that good stuff. So now that we've got that behind us, let's go ahead and transition into discussing some of the biggest storylines of the season and any other things that don't, you know, fit neatly into an award or a category to come. Let's talk the biggest season storylines may have just butchered it but you you heard the this new this segment has always been the storylines but as we want to be able to you know not do the overlapping that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast we're going to try our best to keep you know first just we're going to call this section we're going to rename it very similar to what it's always been but we're going to rename it the season storylines and other things that don't fit neat in another category or award because uh, you know, when we do an awards for the best daily challenge, we can talk about all those dailies and anything. If the dailies were a storyline themselves, which they kind of were this season, we could talk about that then. Any big moments that happen that are, you know, singular moments, we'll talk about that in the best moment award. You get what I'm going for. So with the big season storylines that we have to talk about, the first one is is the biggest one is kind of a two two storylines wrapped up in one that honestly make up the bulk of the story of the season because part of this big, big overarching storyline, because of it, leads to a little bit of a a boring season, if we're being honest. And it's a, we'll talk, you know, we're going to grade the season at the end, as we always do. And when we do that, We'll talk about, you know, what why saying boring isn't necessarily some horrible thing for this season, but let's get into this big storyline so it'll make more sense why I'm even saying that. The biggest storyline of the season is that this is not just a sequel by name to Battle of Texas 2 or Battle of Texas 1, but uh by virtue of how it goes down and how the teams interact. The teams, male and female teams, they act different but the same at the same time. And there's two things that happen within within the teams. And we're going to start with the fact that if compared to each other, the men's team is team unity and the female's team is not the most divisive team we've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, but it is divisive and it does have fractures and issues and is not this cohesive, unified, everyone loves each other thing. And it kind of feels like Battle of the Sexes won all over again because that's what happened on Battle of the Sexes 1 where the men went with, hey, whoever's in the last place on this point system thing, that's who's going home. No arguments about it. And the women sometimes did that, sometimes did not do that, caused issues. And that became then Battle of the Sexes 1. If you listen to that recap podcast, we talked at length about how that entire season, all of the storylines are about the women and only the women and the guys are just really not present because they're just kind of chilling the whole time there's not there's no drama with any of them there's not you know there's just there's nothing going on there's not a lot to you know would we like just watching them throw the football around or like sit around and chit chat or whatever i guess maybe but 
there isn't a lot happening. And this season's a lot of the same thing. There's just not a lot happening on the guy's side. And there's at least something happening on the women's side. And so it makes it seem at times when you're looking at them compared to next each other, you're like, oh, the women's team is just completely divided up. They're at arms with each other and in a vacuum compared to any other seasons or teams of this show. The women's team is actually fairly unified here too, just with the occasional issue that comes up with you know one click versus the other or one specific person is kind of the the lightning bolt of should this person go or not but compared to the men's team who's just like let's do this by the book it seems like a lot so on the men's side even without the point system they do find a way to say matter of fact whoever is in last place we're going to do the fair thing and we're going to always vote off the person who's kind of doing the worst and they don't have the points to go off this time but they kind of keep their own little system they keep a sheet with like who dqs who gets penalties if it, there's ever like one-on-ones within the daily challenges who won or lost their heat things like that and for the most part they go entirely off at the entire season, and of the 15 men eliminated, 13 out of the 15 totally chill, happy about it. They, quote, know it's their time, quote, and are, you know, just totally cool, no problems at all. They get to have a nice, you know, every time when they go to Elimination Hill, which is where they announce the eliminations, it's always like, I love all you guys, I knew it was my time, and, you know, let's, I, we got three more hours till I have to leave this place, so let's have some fun, you know, let's say our goodbyes, and it's all chill. There's only two people that feel any sort of certain way, uh, feel any upset about being voted out, which we will talk more about them in a minute, but it's true. It's really an incredible display, and it is a big story of the entire season. Is like how tight this group of guys is, how good a camaraderie they have, kind of the maturity, if we're being honest, of just like we're all here to have a good time. And you know, like if I mess up in a mission, I'll I'll go home that day. And if you know three of us mess up, if one one of those three's messed up before, that person goes home. And if no one messes up for a few in a row, the next two of us will go home. Whatever it is. Let's try to keep some sort of score and we'll do it as fair as possible. And otherwise, we're just going to have a good time. No hard feelings, you know, and we'll move forward. And it's that's how it is all season long. And they clearly have such a good time together. There's a couple different moments throughout the season. I'm thinking particularly when Randy goes home, they have like a night, a nice long shot of Randy with like six other dudes in the bedroom. Like as he's packing, they're all just talking about how nice it's been and how much fun they've all had and how like they all love each other so much from this experience. It's really, really wonderful, and it's really great display of, you know, when thinking of the history of the challenges in total from a view of 2022, you'd think, you know, there's been a lot of, there's been some ugly moments in the show's history. There's been, you know, some issues with how the men are treated versus the women are treated. There's been all kinds of, you know, unfortunate bumps in the road and issues that the show and the fan base itself has had to deal with. And you would think without, if your memory's not great of early seasons, you'd be like, yeah, some shady shit sometimes went down on early seasons. I bet the Battle of the Sexes one is like ripe with, you know, the men being douchebags or some misogyny playing through or, you know, anything at all, any of the warts that would show up elsewhere. This this season has none of it. The men are like stand-up gentlemen. They're not... The first time around on Battle of Sexes one, there's a few times where they're kind of not the most gracious of winners, but... Even in winning 12 of the 15 daily challenges on this one, there's only one single moment the entire season where anyone gets mad of like, could you guys like be a little more, you know, like you're being an asshole and winning. And that was Steven who they have doing 
a confessional style interview, like next to where everyone else is sitting right after they've won. He says, you know, our team's just a lot better player for player, no matter what they put in front of us, we're better. And all the women can just hear him saying that. And so they get a little, they deservingly are like, can you not, like we just lost and you're just yelling this into the camera five feet away from us. Can you not do that right now? Fair point. But it's one isolated small incident. Otherwise they're super, you know, gracious about all of it. They're nice about all of it. And they have such a good camaraderie. It's fascinating, but it also leads to like, it's not, there's not a lot of interesting stuff going on uh, because of it in the season. You know, you feel great for them. And uh, I, it might be the season if I could go back and just be on a cast of any season possible after watching this one, I'm like, I think I might pick this one. Like, it would be so much fun to be, you know, to be one of the guys on this team and just to like have that camaraderie and community and everything. Um, but it definitely affects the show uh, when they're just, there's no drama. There's no, there's no decisions to be made. There's no suspense. There's just kind of, and there's no, you know, from a competition standpoint, like it's, you know, not very competitive all the time, no matter what they end up doing. And so that definitely hurts the show on the women's side. It's, it's a little clicky, especially when compared to the men. But as I said before, it's not some super dysfunctional over the top, like everyone hates everyone. It's they try to paint it as that a little bit, but because it seems like they're kind of grasping at straws for anything in some particular stretches of the season. Like, is there any tension? Is there any drama? What one, two people don't really totally like each other. Let's dig in on that. Can we find any way to make this look like it's a huge thing and it's a really big problem, even if it's not? And, you know, they're kind of grasping at stuff. Uh, But there is very much early on the Veronica, Rachel, Coral, the three vets, on the women's side, three of the vets, but those three, Veronica and Rachel, super duper tight. Coral has become kind of a third member of that little trio. And they're clearly looking out for each other. And they're happy to be, you know, open about people they dislike or to be the first, especially they're the first to talk in all the meetings. They kind of steer all the meetings when others are a little more, even some of the other veterans like a Ruthie are a little more tepid, a little more like, I just, I don't like this part of like saying people's names and whatever. And some of the newer people are a little less like, I don't want to like ruffle anyone's feathers. I just got here. I don't have meeting everyone. Those three in particular are quick to every meeting be like, well, I'm willing to say this person's name right now. And this is why. And anyone else want to join on board? I've already broke the ice. I've already said it. So they kind of run things. Coral, to her credit, got to say, as much as it's a part of that trio, she, and kind of an evolution, it could have been listed as an evolution of the season. She is there for one person, one person alone, and that is Coral, which is kind of the first time this ever had happened where someone is, she's very upfront about it the whole time. Um, and I think maybe the first person in show history to be all in on the, like, I have the social capital to make sure I get to the end. And I don't care who's with me. I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm going to get to the end and whoever's standing there with me, if it could be my friends, great. If not, doesn't really matter. I'm getting to the end. I'm winning this money. And no one had ever really went that hard like she does on this season. And like plenty of people do in all seasons to come really from this point. So she's leading that. And all of this leads to the second half of this overarching storyline of the team's acting the same but different at the same time. The part that became the same was that it does become the vets versus the rookies to a decent degree, and it happens on each team at different moments a couple different times, but to stay on the women, since we're talking about them before, and then we'll circle it back to the men's team. The women, that trio was viewed as, you know, these three, they've done this a bunch, 
And it's kind of them versus everyone else on the team. And some of the other more vets are like, I, I'm fine with them kind of running things. And some are not so much. Others like a Ruthie and a Sophia slowly but surely are like, we need to find our voices here because we don't agree with everything that's happening and we want it to be this way. And they don't never try to do that way. Um, but then you also have the young people, mostly Robin being the kind of the main one on the female side who feels the kind of newbie treatment at times of like, I have to perform even better because I'm new here or like, I don't really have a say. No one's listening necessarily to me. And that drives that wedge and that leads to the couple different, you know, fractured moments on the women's team when it's, uh, you know, an Angela versus Rachel early in the season and like, they pretty much just want Angela gone mostly because she's new and Rachel doesn't like her, not necessarily because of performance. And it's the first time the team for a couple episodes in a row is like, are we doing this on performance or are we not? And then Tanya comes up for a couple episode run of, are we doing this because we want her around or is it performance-based? Should we get rid of her? Should we not? And it lasts a couple episodes. And then near the end, it comes down to a, a little bit vets versus rookie and friends versus friends as it ends up getting to kind of a, a trio on one side, a trio, a, a duo of Tina and Coral on the other side, all looking out for each other. They're going at each other. You're trying to save your friends. So are we. Let's all be open about it. So it comes to a head. On the guy's side, though, it gets even bigger. Um, and is the two people we referenced earlier that, you know, 13 to the 15 eliminated, totally chill, couldn't be more unified, couldn't be more copacetic about being sent home from the challenge. Two people that were not were Adam and Brad. Adam earlier on, third guy to go home, is the first one. When he goes home, he feels very much like, hey, there was three or four of us that were probably at the bottom of our, you know, whatever rankings we're trying to put together here. But I only got picked out of those, not because I was definitely the worst, but because I was not Mike Mizanin, who you guys all like and who's done a bunch of these seasons, but like I've probably performed better than him. And so he ends up getting eliminated, is bummed out about it, and makes it known before he leaves. He sits down with Brad and Robin, and I think a few others were there, and says, like, this, you know, vote out the rookies, or you're new, so you, like, we don't have experience to go off of, so tiebreaker goes, you know, to the vet. Like, that's bullshit. You make sure this doesn't happen to you guys like it happens to me. That's the only moment all season long up until the very end that the guys feel any sort of friction. And then right at the end, the final five, Brad feels completely screwed over when he goes home second to last. There's five guys left. Three are going to make the final. And in, they all know, they all agree before the daily challenge, Eric is at the bottom of the five. He's definitely the next one to go. But they get to the daily challenge. And with the format of this season, team leaders, non-team leaders, if you win, your team leaders are safe. Vote someone else out if you lose. The rest vote out one of the team leaders of that day. The men have been winning every single one. And so they're like, if you're a team leader, you ain't going home. Mark instantly says, Eric should be a team leader for this one. Brad doesn't like how it feels. They have a long talk about it, but eventually they re he relents, lets Eric be a team leader. They win. Eric can't go home. Brad gets sent home and knows and confronts them about this feels like once it got to this final five, Theo, Dan, Eric, and Mark, you've done a bunch of these. I was the new guy. Didn't matter what performance you were going to get rid of me. Eventually, Mark, uh, you know, apologizes, openly apologizes for this at the reunion, acknowledges it. Brad still feels mad about it at the reunion. But it's and they they fully admit to we did the fairest possible thing. But yes, all tiebreakers were 
whoever was, you know, the vet or we were friends with was going to get the tiebreaker. And so it was fair, but it had this shade of not 100%. And the big example they use at the reunion is, yeah, we kept Mike around a couple weeks longer than maybe, or a couple days, and they say weeks when it's days. They're literally doing daily challenges and eliminations at this point. But they kept him around a couple episodes longer than needed because they were his friend, but at some point they couldn't justify it. It was going to blow up in their face and prove that they weren't necessarily just going with the fairest possible thing, who is the worst performer, and so they eventually get rid of him. And the only other time it came up was that Final Four to get Mark to get Eric through, which we'll talk about a lot later on. That was a big moment because it leads to one of the, if not the biggest moment of the season. But in general... There is a big tone of those who had done a bunch of seasons before and think they know how to play, think they know what to expect or better versus those who are on their first or second season and are either quieter or are told they don't know as well. There's even one thing, another credit to Coral. Coral, all season long, the only time she kind of goes against her friends a few times, including one of the, the final vote to take Tina off instead of Sophia, comes down to Coral is scarred from losing the puzzle, uh, the pu- the puzzle on the prior season, the Inferno that blew it for them, and they could have won, and they didn't because of this puzzle. So all season long, she's harping on any time they decide to get rid of someone who they think is a puzzle person or a smart member of the team. She openly is like, I'm not good at those things. I don't think you're good at those things. Do we really want to get rid of a puzzle person? Are we sure? Because the puzzle is the only thing that decides who wins that final challenge. And at this point, she's totally right based on Battle of the Seasons, which she was on, and won because Mike got that puzzle before anyone on Road Rules could, and the Inferno, where she lost because the Road Rules got the crossword puzzle and Real World had no chance at the memory crossword game that was presented to them. So totally get it, but that was the tone of the entire season was some of us have been doing this a while now, and we know how to do this. We're going to be here in the end. Those of you that are not, Get your feet wet, but don't think you're taking our spots on this show anytime soon. So that's that was the biggest story of the whole season. The teams acted different, but the same. The male had unity. The female had some division, but really the females had a lot of unity at different times too, and the males did have a couple moments where that unity almost got blew, blown up, but really it came down to who's been here and done this before. We're taking the lead. We're taking the reins. People go off of us. The final part of that Vets first Rookies thing was – the male unity was 100% driven by day one, minute one, meeting one. All the guys get together, and Eric Neese and Mark Long stand up and say, this is how we did it on Battle of the Sexes. One, it worked great. Everyone had a great time. This is how we're doing it now. And you could tell also, not only did they want to do that because they felt it was right, but they also knew in the back of their mind, also, we're good at this stuff, so if we do it this way, we're going to last a while. Mike, our buddy, he's going to last a while. He's good at this stuff. Theo's great at this stuff. He's going to last a while. So it's gonna. this is going to be a system that helps those of us who have done this a lot, but also is fair. They set the tone, and everyone falls in line because it's Mark Long and Eric Neese, and everyone's like, you guys are literally the ones that started both of these shows, so great. Of course, we're going to listen to you. So that's storyline one. The second Big storyline to touch on now before we move into awards to talk about a bunch more stuff is that we had romance in the air all season long on this one. Big, big romance season, and we're going to play play a little game. We're going to run through the four, the four real ones of the season here and just or do we ship it? Do we not ship it in one word to describe it? And we'll go somewhat chronological. No, I guess actually this I do not have this in chronological order at all on my notes. So. Take that part out. Ship it, don't ship it. 
one word to describe it. Let's start with Coral and Abram. One word to describe Coral and Abram. Intense. Intense. Or maybe just love. But like all capital letters, love. Because intense, intense friendship and relationship going on on this season between Coral and Abram, which in the moment, as you're watching it, it's a little jarring because you're like, wait a minute. Uh, I, you guys did it. You guys weren't like this the season before. And so, like, did you just come on this show and all of a sudden, like, you're not just together, but, like, it's a real, like, you're really, really intense about this relationship and into each other. And we find out on the reunion that is because the part we don't see is between the two seasons. They did some sort of, like, months-long bus tour road trip sort of situation uh, where they spent, you know, all their time together and they, you know, I don't know if I'm going to say all the way fell in love, but became very intimate relationship, loved each other as friends and were, you know, kind of... It was always kind of in and out even on this season as you watch like sometimes yeah they would kiss and stuff and they'd say like they would frame it as somewhat of a like romantic relationship and other times they'd frame it as just like this is my like best friend and I like need this person to just like talk to and be have friendship and fellowship with so they kind of framed it back and forth but it made more sense once we found out on the reunion like they spent a lot of in you know in-depth time together and then came on to the season with that already started then it all made sense. Their goodbyes, but uh, we totally shipped this one. They're 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 amazing. Uh, you know, obviously we're talking about this years, years, years after the fact. They did not stay together. I don't know uh, any length of time after post this show, but in the moment, loved everything about it. Loved watching it. Their goodbye uh, on this is like some of the best cinematography the show's maybe ever put out. Certainly in the early days when they're not working with as nearly the cameras and uh, the resources they got today, but they say goodbye, have to say goodbye to each other when he's eliminated, just kind of holding each other at sunset in the desert out by like a fence, just framed beautifully looks amazing. It's very pretty, very, very pretty, very good stuff. So that's one of the romances of the season. Then we had Mark and Robin, uh, the kind of mom who would become kind of mom and dad of the challenge for a few seasons. Uh, if I had to pick one word, I'd go with sweet, just very sweet, innocent. Um, definitely ship it as well. All of these were, we shouldn't have done ship it or not ship it. The answer is all of them. Loved all of them. They were all great. Um, Mark and Robin it really warms the heart. Just kind of sweet, innocent, nice people, flirting, kind of falling a little bit for each other. They would eventually go on to date off the show and then back on the show together. They were on a couple seasons of the show as still romantically involved. And then, of course, they would do Battle of the Exes together when they would both come back to the show after some time off. So they, you know, Mark and Robin become kind of a staple of the challenge here for a few seasons. So love that. Sweet. The origins of it. Fantastic stuff. Then we had Tanya and Theo. Tanya and Theo, one word to describe them, just fun. Fun, fun, fun. These were two people who understood the assignment. They understood you put a bunch of us hot people in our 20s in some random house in the middle of nowhere. We're not allowed to talk to anyone in the outside world. We got a hot tub and nothing to do. Why not thumb wrestle with all your thumbs, as Theo would say at the reunion. And they do a lot of whatever you want to call it. They get together early and often throughout the season um, and, but at all times they both are pretty open about, yeah, why wouldn't we have some fun with, you know, we, you know, we're having a good time together. This means, this means 
you know, it doesn't mean nothing to either of us, but you know what I mean when I say it means nothing to us. It means we're at summer camp. We're having a good time. We got a little go- girlfriend or boyfriend for summer camp, and this will for sure not go a day past, a minute past when either of us leaves this place, which it does not. And also, just side note, in the middle of it, at first you think this is not going to continue more than just the first time they kind of make out in the back of the van after the club because Theo also has a interesting moment where he goes over there's a cardboard cutouts of all of the cast at one of the early daily challenges and he makes out with Arissa's cardboard cutout because he says there's no chance he'll ever get Arissa to actually make out with him so this is the closest he could get and it's a funny little moment and you're like oh so is he like into her now and then like whether that worked out or didn't work out he and Tanya continue until one of them's not there then the final one of the season not so much a romance but a, a final thing to talk about within uh this segment and this this entire storyline segment that was shane and nick uh shane and nick come on to the show nick is fresh off road rules extreme and shane and nick are both gay men and they have there's a one episode in particular it ends up going over a couple episodes but one in particular that is a really really great moment um and a really good job by everyone involved in really great representation of kind of uh, the issue these two had to deal with and many on reality television and many obviously in the entire real world. Um, Real world, not the show, real world, just real world. That sounded weird when I said it. But Shane acknowledges uh, at some point, a few episodes in, how nice it is to not be the only gay man in the cast for what is his first time ever on any of these shows. And Sidebar on that, I don't. I forgot to go back and check if we'd had multiple gay men on a challenge cast yet. We'd had the lesbian side, plenty of representation there. This season alone, big time. They had commented on it right away. I think Anissa, like episode one, when they all get in the house, says something to the effect of like, "Holy cow! Like they really, they really stacked this place with a bunch of us, huh? Like that's that's awesome. Like good for us." Um, that the female side had a little more representation. The male side had always pretty much been the, the same way it had been kind of on real world and road rules of like, we're going to always have one gay guy. And it's, you know, that's a good thing that it's, it's not none, but it's also becomes, became a thing of like, there's always the one gay guy and that you're kind of putting this into like a specific, like story that you think you can just have this boilerplate. This is how this story is going to be. And we're going to check this, these boxes and boom, we're done. And it's not that feel of genuine or authentic or actually like doing the job of the representation. You, we would hope you're trying to really go for. And, and so it was never a great situation, but on this season, Shane comments on, you know, I've had, you know, three, four seasons of television had to deal with like being the only gay guy. And now Nick's here. And not only is it nice that there's at least one other gay man, but Nick and him get to have conversations of Nick being like, I watched you on your season and it made me much more comfortable than on my season to know like how someone has handled that before. And it made Shane way more comfortable to think about like, that's really cool that I like got to, that it mattered that I was on my season and that I was open on my season. And I talked about that and like, it was a part of my story on that season. It helped these other people. And that's really, really cool. And it's really cool thing 
thing to see. Um, there is, you know, uh, thankfully they do not try to like, you know, edit their way to some sort of romantic storyline between the two of them. They, you know, they both are very open of like, it's cool that we're both here and, you know, occasionally we'll dance together, or flirt or whatever, cause it's fun at the bar, but there's not, there's nothing actually going on between them other than just really good friendship and getting to share stories and share, you know, their life with each other and with the cameras and us, the viewers. And it's just, uh, really well handled by both Shane and Nick themselves and by the, you know, production crew, which is another one of those things when, you know, when saying the early days of the challenge, they actually got some of this stuff really right and did it really well. Sometimes even in the early days, even if at other points we would, you know, unfortunately get it really wrong. And we'll talk about those types of moments when we have seasons with those. And thankfully this season was the opposite. A lot of great stuff on all fronts of that. So those are your biggest storylines. There's a lot of romance and the the men and women's team acted totally different, but at the same time, kind of acted the same with the veterans really running the show. Let's move from there then into handing out a bunch of our awards because doing so will both crown some amazing achievements that were had this season, but also allow us to talk about a bunch of the other smaller moments or storylines that happened throughout the season. So let's dust off the newest set of trophies, line them up, and hand them out. First award up is the best daily challenge of the season. And before we talk about a few of them individually, just got to say the daily challenges definitely are, they dominate this season. And there's another, um, could have even maybe said this with the evolutions, although it, it starts, this is about the third season in a row that this is how it goes. And you know, it's how the show is going to go throughout its entire history, but this season, by a marginally more than maybe any other, um, at least as of yet, the daily challenges are like dominate the runtime of the episode. They are always at least right at like 50% of the 22 minute runtimes of these episodes, 21, 22 minutes. The daily challenges are usually like 10 to 12 minutes of that, sometimes even a little bit more going over the halfway point. And so they've got their kind of formula to every episode. And uh, they they very much, the dailies just dominate everything. And so they become kind of the most important part of the whole season is, are the dailies cool? Are they good? Because if it's not, really whether an episode is good or not, there's not a lot of drama going on in the house. So the competition kind of is what needs to carry this. And then it's not that competitive. And the guys win 12 out of 15. And we'll talk about one. They really won 13 out of 15, but they gave up on one. We'll talk about that more later. So the dailies dominated the season. But as for which ones were the absolute best, there's four nominees in chronological order here. The first one, Melt With You, episode four. This daily challenge saw them get a the first time of what would happen a few times in challenge history. And is just a classic. It's so great is a big old block of ice. This one in the shape of a uh, cowboy hat that the team has to find a way to melt as fast as they can using anything they want except peeing on it, which is a specific rule given nowadays in the world of All-Stars where we saw Darrell pee on a block of ice in All-Stars 1, I believe that was, like the second challenge of All-Stars 1. But, so that's the only rule. Otherwise, grind your bodies on it, 
spit on it, just rub your hands across it, or as the men and eventually the women do here, one guy lay down, put another person on top of it, as much weight as you can, and then the rest of them move you back and forth like a saw until your back is frozen solid and you got to get off and swap places, whatever you want to do. It's hilarious. It's funny. The whole Those are the same word, but you get what I mean. That's how funny it is that you got to say hilarious and funny at the same time. It's great entertainment. It's very much fun. They got to get to the bottom of this one to get a cell phone out of the bottom and then call another cell phone that's sitting over there for Johnny to answer, which is also kind of funny in the end, but... Great daily challenge. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Second nominee then is episodes 11, Pop Culture Bike Jump. This is the trivia, and it is one of the better versions of trivia this show has ever done. It's all pop culture trivia. And with it, though, there is a twist on it of you they're at a bike ramp, and it's a real shame that this, this daily challenge happened before in the days prior to TJ Lavin, because I can't think of anything literally more tailor-made for TJ Lavin than Pop Culture Bike Jump, because they had... Three ramps, a little uh, half a half pipe, uh, whatever, my bike language or lingo, not the best, but you get to go down the bike, down the ramp, and then vault off of ramp one, two, or three, each one a little bigger, a little more steeper, and the goal is just to get off the ramp. You're then caught in midair. The bike goes flying into a net. You like hang on a little bungee, and you float in the air for a minute, so you don't have to you know, land it or do any tricks or anything like that. You just got to go off the ramp. It is a little scary, though. But the ramps are worth 1 point, 2 point, 3 points, or you can choose to take a pop culture trivia question. If you take the question and get it right, you can go off any ramp and get six points. If you get it wrong, you get zero points. And so it's trivia with a little twist. You can bypass the trivia, but the trivia, getting it correct, gives you the chance to get a whole bunch more points. There's a lot of strategy involved. Most people end up taking a trivia question. There's some absolutely fantastic questions that are asked, especially given the time frame. watching in hindsight. It's so a real good window. There's a question about friends. There's a question about a couple different songs. There's a question about Anna Nicole Smith's dog's names. There is one of the best ones. There is the words to the song Milkshake by Khalees, which the the women get right. Uh, Theo, bless his heart, gets one word wrong. The reaction to it's great. Let's just go ahead and play that clip quickly here. All right, Theo, Evie's. They're both taking a question, and here it is. In Khalees' song, Milkshake, her milkshake brings what to the what? Being a girl, I obviously know the words of this song. All right, show me your answers. How the hell can you not know it's yard, idiot? A lot of great stuff like that happen in this particular challenge. One of the three that the women end up winning, or it's actually a real battle back and forth. We don't know who's going to win their suspense. So all of it all together. Great stuff. Third nominee, then semi-crossed episode 14 is the first ever mission on top of a semi-truck, three trucks in a row or one, one front truck pulling three containers behind it. And on top of the containers is a little obstacle course that you have to do for time in groups of three add up your total time. That is the one that wins. It's really, really cool. It's really fun. It's uh, pretty competitive and interesting. We'll talk more about it in a moment for best athletic performance, but 
it's challenge history. And so that matters and gets it nominated for the best daily challenge. And then fourth and final one, Vertigo, episode 16, which is the one where the guys throw without the women even knowing that they were doing it. We will talk at length about that in a moment. So of those four, Melt With You, Pop Culture, Bike Jump, Semi-Cross, Vertigo, we got to give it to Trivia at all, as always, Pop Culture, Bike Jump. The only thing about it is, I said it, but I didn't elaborate on it. I mean, Trivia plus Bike Jumps, how is T- How do they not bring this back? How do they not let TJ Lavin host this one? Maybe next season of All-Stars, maybe we throw it in, who knows, but it is the best daily challenge of this season for sure. Next award is the best athletic performance of the season, which should be said uh, the season, the daily challenges of the 15 of them. Obviously, there's no eliminations, which is another thing that kind of works against the season of, you know, not having the limbs, less sporting events. Sometimes that could be good. The season, it doesn't necessarily help, uh, but it also means less athletic performances to judge and the daily challenges then wouldn't very few if any on really a physical side at all there's a lot of puzzles there's a lot of strategy there's a lot of silly and so we gotta it's a little bit of a stretch to come up with necessarily our best athletic performance but our best performance in a daily challenge if you will is the award we're going for here so four nominees first one eric niece in bombs away which is an eating challenge uh and eric his uh there's a bunch of different stuff they have to eat some of it's not that bad a couple things are pretty bad one of the worst ones that i know doesn't sound as gross to some people but to a lot of us out there is super duper gross is a full bowl of mayonnaise that one person has to eat one-on-one full bowl of mayonnaise and erignes eats it so damn fast that it would make even tony time himself tony reigns nervous as hell to have to go against this guy i would i couldn't i can't imagine I would love to see Tony Raines, Eric Nice eating a bowl of mayonnaise competition because it is unbelievable how fast he does it on this one. So that's nominee number one. Second nominee, Mike in High Noon, which is episode seven. High Noon is a challenge where it is a quick draw challenge with paintball guns. So they're not shooting each other with actual guns, obviously, thankfully. Paintball guns are there, and it's just one-on-one battles, guy versus gal. Uh, and you know, most times or who most, you know, how many men win, how many women win, you get a point for hitting the other person. You get like six shots. If no one hits, it's a draw. And Mike is on the hot seat. He knows if, if he, if they don't win this challenge and he doesn't do well in it, he's the next up to go. He's on the bottom of their little rankings. And right before his round is about to go, there is a huge dust storm and wind storm that rolls in and they have to stop for a time being. And it sticks around long enough. They decide, hey, we got to like keep going. So we're just going to have to do this in this crazy wind. And if you've never shot a paintball gun, paintball, they, they go real fast. They do hurt if you're at a close distance, whatever. But they're heavily affected by the wind. The paintballs themselves are not heavy enough to like slice through really any wind resistance. And this wind is, you know, 20, 30 mile an hour consistent straight that they're dealing with. And Mike under pressure against the elements nails on his second shot, wins his round high pressure situation, gets the job done, earns him a nomination for the best athletic performance. Third one. Then we actually mentioned it just a moment ago, but Randy and pop culture bike jump while the men lost that one of all the answers that were the most impressive. Randy gets a question, right? About the, the show Friends, they ask when Ross and Rachel, I don't remember the exact details, but Ross maybe cheats, maybe doesn't on Rachel, but he hooks up with someone else and 
he the question is what is his response when confronted about this neither pe- person knows it randy doesn't know it. he hasn't seen friends all the women over on the side are like we love this show all of us except for the one answering this question know the answer to this but randy goes with a good old guess of hey what any guy would say we were on a break and is then stunned when he's like that's fucking right amazing they go on to lose but it's a big moment uh, and it's great job by him to, when you totally guess at a trivia question and get it right, uh, what a moment that always is. Fourth and final nominee then, joint nominee, Dan, Theo, and Eric semi-cross the, uh, the obstacle course on top of the semi-trucks that we mentioned before. Four heats of three people. There's six left on both teams at this point. So they do two heats of three people doing the obstacle course together for time. And the other of the three of the four heats basically all do it in the exact same like 13 minutes or so time frame the only group that does anything different is dan theo and eric who do it in half of that time and honestly could have went faster they they're very comfortable with the whole thing they just smoke and it's one of the few real like physical athletic uh performances of the season and they really set themselves way far away from all other people that are left in the show at that point so it's got to be nominated but of those four nominees I've got to give it to Eric and Bob's away. The eating the bowl of the mayonnaise. I mean, he. I, it might be a slight editing trick, but I don't think it is. He eats this thing like he just scoops it into his mouth and scoop and scoop and scoop and then wipes the entire side one nice clean time, last big scoop, and he's just done. And I forget who he's going against in the moment, but she's has like two spoonfuls in her mouth, and she's like, I'm going as fast as I can, and this is so disgusting, and you're done? Like, what? How did that even happen? It's amazing. So that is is your best athletic performance. On to the best quote, and as well as that, the Dan Renzi Memorial Award for the best confessional king or queen of the season. Well, this season was a little uh, a little without quotes, to be honest with you, which is another thing kind of working a little bit against it is, uh, for as many uh, people on the season in the cast that can really bring the quotes in a high high quality way, we don't get a lot. We've only come up with four nominees here, three of which belong to Tina. And so no shocker here, the Dan Renzi uh, Confessional King or Queen of the Season Award is going to have to go to Tina. But as for the actual quote of the year, let's run through the four nominees We'll do these not in chronological order because the first two are real quote of the year nominees and the other two are from Tina that are good quotes but are nominated because they're good quotes that could be reused over and over. Just great quotes to define the challenge world that could be used on any season, lots of situations. So let's first, uh, let's do those first actually. Let's hear Tina in episode one talk about the type of game, the ruthlessness she is willing to play with. Let's hear that one first. I will do anything for this money. I will stab a chick in the back if need be. Good to know she would be willing to and definitely a quote that could be used in so many moments throughout any pretty much season of the challenge's illustrious history. The other one from her that fits that same bill just could be used in so many different times. In fact, I'm going to probably use this clip plenty of times in the future whenever someone I don't really like ends up getting sent home, but that happens to her. Episode 13, Tanya goes home. Tina and Tanya had had a little rift, and Tina celebrates by saying this. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Good riddance. 
Fantastic stuff for her, but on to the two quotes that vie and battle it out for the actual quote of the year. We're on a Tina run. Let's just cap it off with Tina in episode seven at that high noon paintball challenge where they have to do the little quick draw, shoot them up with the paintball guns prior to it happening. The guys are very, very confident. They're like, oh, we're going to do this. And, you know, they've got Randy who plays paintball all the time. And a lot of the guys have played before. And he's their team leader. He's teaching them. And on the women's side, literally none of them. Arissa's like, I think I shot a paintball gun once. Otherwise, no one has ever shot a paintball gun, any type of gun, any type of anything. And so the guys are feeling real confident. Tina wants to bring them down a notch. And she's going to do so with humor and insight into what she knows about them. So let's have her take it away one more time. The guys think just because they have a gun in their pants, they know how to aim. I've seen those little urine spots on the toilet seat, boys. Your aim isn't that good. While hilarious, uh, it doesn't turn out to be true. The guy's aim is pretty good uh, during that mission, and they win pretty easily. Fourth and final nominee for quote of the year goes to our guy, Theo, who during the junk boat challenge where they have to literally take uh pick one piece by one piece uh out of a pile of junk to then build a boat out of that they have to do two trips out and around a buoy in uh it doesn't go so well for the men the women actually crush them in this particular challenge for their first win of the season and one of them only three and the men aren't feeling great during it and theo's feeling a certain way about their boat one off go I feel like we're like Noah's Ark, only on our ship we gathered two of every kind of idiot. And with that very, very funny and self-deprecating joke there from Theo, we're going to go ahead and name him the best quote winner since Tina then, even with three of the four nominees, does take home the Dan Renzi Award. So, Theo quote of the year, Tina, Dan Renzi, confessional queen of the season award winner. Now we're on to the big one, and that is the iconic moment of the season. The best moment, the iconic moment, the most infamous moment, however you want to label it. The one you're going to remember for all of challenge history. The one, if we only could put one moment per season into into the greatest moments ever bracket, what would the nominee be from this season? That's kind of what we're going for in this award and also a chance to talk about some more stuff that maybe doesn't fit neatly or would have fit neatly into a storyline, but we saved it to talk about here because we're not overlapping on this podcast, trying our best. Iconic moment, four nominees. Let's talk about them in chronological order. The very first one is our guy, Derek Kaczynski. Great, great, great Derek OG Hall of Famer Derek. This is his first season. He is part of the rookie class on this season, coming directly off of Road Rules Extreme. And in episode one, Derek makes it known very quickly, hey, I'm here to compete, but I'm also here to party. Like, I'm here to party. In all of episode one, they're all partying to some degree or another, but Derek walks, spends a whole episode walking around with a bottle of liquor in his hand. Everywhere he goes, he has his bottle with him. Like, anyone want to keep drinking? Anyone want more drinking? Because that's what I'm here to do. I'm going to have a great time. I know I can drink with any of y'all. I'm not worried about having too much. Let's go. And it's great, but... At first, everyone's like, yeah, let's party. And then later in the night, everyone's like, I think we're good. Like, no more for us, please and thank you. And eventually, the end, the night ends with 
a few of Derek's teammates commenting on like, maybe he's a little abrasive. Maybe like, or we're a little worried. Is he here just to party? Like we think he's going to be really competitive and good, but like, is he maybe not, does he care about the game at all? Or is he able to actually balance this the way he claims? Cause right now a few hours in him carrying around that liquor bottle all night long, we're not sure if he's going to balance this. And it ends up with Derek alone by himself outside looking in at other people kind of hanging out around the table and he's out in the grass. It's dark outside. He's smoking a cigarette. He's got a bottle of liquor in one hand. And there's a frog in the ground that he's like openly talking to the frog and occasionally pokes his toe at him to get the frog to move a little so that it's interactive. And it's 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 an entertaining moment. It's a little a bit of a sad moment because it makes me I'm like, damn, I even more wish this would be the season I'd go back with. I would happily be helping you with that bottle. I'd love to sit out there and chat with your frog friend with you, Derek, like. I would love to be your buddy in that moment and be there with you. And obviously, Derek, an icon, a legend, an OG all-star of this show, having having that kind of moment, episode one of his challenge career, um, is just great. And is definitely one of a memorable moment from the season for sure. Nominee number two, then. We referenced this earlier, but we're going to go through the timeline on it now. Chris. Chris from Road Rules South Pacific. I believe this is his one and only season of the challenge. Chris gets married during this season. And unlike on Battle of the Sexes 1, when Puck gets married at the villa, he brings his wife and child there to do the wedding on site, be produced more or less by Mark and Eric and filmed by the put on the actual show. Chris has agreed to come on this show knowing full well that his wedding is smack dab in the middle of filming. And we get to the day before his wedding is meant to happen. His wedding is on a Friday and it is Thursday. And we find out in the beginning of this episode, episode nine, that Chris needs to leave because he's got to get married, but he's just going to leave for a minute and then come right back. And this is the timeline that we then get for Chris. And I believe I wrote this down word, basically word for word. I went back and rewatched a couple times to make sure I had this right exactly as he lays it out for us. He leaves in the middle of the night, like two, three in the morning, to drive five hours to somewhere nearby where he can then take a short plane ride over to Texas, where he's from. And so five hour plane drive from middle of the night, get on a plane for like 40 minutes or something. Plane lands at 9.09 a.m. His wedding rehearsal, 9.09 a.m. on Friday. So he's left at you know 2, 3 in the morning, Friday morning, f- drives five hours, short plane flight, lands at 9.09 a.m. Rehearsal is at 9.30 a.m. sharp. He then gets to sleep for a couple hours because the, mar- the wedding is at 7 p.m. He has the wedding. He has his honeymoon night, as he says a couple different times. And then he wakes up the next morning and flies back and gets there in time for the daily challenge that afternoon. He has gone for 36 hours in the end to get married and come immediately back. And it is mind-blowing. He's totally chill about it. It seems like it's everything's fine. Like, he's like, this is, yeah, it's how it was supposed to go. And, like, it was great. It was wonderful. And then to kind of make the worst-case situation of it all, they do the daily challenge. And after the daily challenge is over, he's performed well. He decides, you know what? I think I just, I think I want to be with my wife. I think I, and it's not even a like, I think I made a mistake. Like I, I shouldn't have come back here. I shouldn't even have been on the season. What was I doing? It's just like, uh, you know what? I came back and this is fun, but if you guys want to vote me off, I'll just, I'll go with my wife. It was cool. I got married last night. It was really cool. I want to go like do that. I want to go be a husband. 
And so they're like, yeah, sure. We'll get rid of you. We'll send you home. And they send him home and they uh, send him out the night before. They literally, the Thursday night before he leaves at like two in the morning, they give him a full-blown bachelor party style that he's some likes parts of, doesn't like other parts of. But he leaves, gets married, comes back, and then decides, you know what, I should leave again. <laughs> and so that's wild and crazy and challenge history in an iconic moment for sure. The third nominee then, probably maybe if this was purely just top of mind memory of the season, um, maybe this one would even win, but certainly no matter what is going to get nominated, is Steven slapping Shane across the face. Episode 13, they do a challenge called Cast a Spell. And in Cast a Spell, they each, they get 20 minutes where they have to stand around not talking. They can't talk at all while I forget what's exactly happening during that part. I think they're just allowed to think. The The whole mission is that they're going to then get 20 minutes to decide as a group. They all get to spray paint one letter onto their stomach. And then when the 20 minutes is over, they've decided what letters they want to use. They have to then have 30 minutes to spell as many words with those letters as they can. And every word is worth points and stuff. And it's a whole thing. And so they have 20 minutes where they're not allowed to talk. And if they talk, they get a huge, huge penalty. And during this time, Steven is kind of like miming words. He's trying to mime to Shane and Theo as two team captains for that mission. Like, hey, we're allowed to write. So he's like doing a little writings logo. He's like, should I write on the ground? And they're both like, hey, like, shut up. Like, you're trying to talk more or less. Like, you're going to get us DQ'd. You're going to get us big penalties. And we find out at the reunion that it goes as far as production, someone on the production side saying, hey, this is your only warning. Like, we're going to have to, like, we're going to have to disqualify your team if you, like, you're not allowed to talk. And he flips them off. We don't know that part in the moment. But he's doing this. Theo and Shane, captains of the mission, are, like, really upset about it. They can't say anything in the moment. So when the 20 minutes are up, they say something. And Shane and Theo both are like, hey, dude, like, that wasn't cool. You're going to get us in trouble. You're going to get us DQ'd, whatever. And Steven's very defensive about it. And as he's getting defensive, like, what? Nothing was wrong. No one did anything wrong. No one got DQ'd. Shane just kind of, like, calmly, like, puts his hand on Steven's arm to be like, hey, like, let's calm down here. And Steven's instant reaction to someone touched me is he reaches up and he hits Shane across the face. And it's it's kind of like a, it's a slap, but it's like an open-handed, like, palm. It's kind of a punch, kind of a slap, but it's right across the face. It's pretty aggressive. And everyone instantly, the moment it happens, is like, whoa. And everyone kind of stops for like one second. It's like, whoa, that what just happened? Because it's not, there's not a lot of buildup. There's not like a lot of malice or anything. It's just kind of like, hey, what the fuck, dude? Why'd you do that? What, what do you mean? Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, you touched me. Oh, slap. Like, and, and it's just, it's over. And instantly they know, he, Steven knows, the rest of the team knows, oh, fuck. Like, you're going to get sent home. And instantly Johnny calls them over. He calls them all over. And he says, you know, everyone signs a contract. There's no physical violence allowed. So, Steven, you're done. You're ejected from the game. You leave right now. Go pack your stuff. And you got to leave immediately. Shane protests. He's like, what do you mean? Like, this? there was no nothing wrong with this. Like, yeah, he, taught, like, he hit me. But, like, it's fine. No one's mad. No one's arguing. Like, please don't do this. The rest of the cast that's seen something like this happen maybe before, it has to, like, chime in and help Johnny Mosley out of being like Shane. Like it's not, Johnny's not making the decision. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like he's, he's not the one making it. Let it go. This is happening. Steven for his part, 
uh, knows immediately that he's he's going to get removed for it. He feels bad immediately. He leaves peacefully. He's like, of course, I know I got to leave. Uh, he goes, packs peacefully, leaves a nice note for Shane and the rest of the guys. He told the owns it at the reunion uh, that, like, I don't know why I did it. It was dumb. Like, no one was actually mad at each other or anything. There was no hard feelings. Shane, again, you know, tries to get him not removed, feels bad about it. Uh, eventually like gets totally, you know, gets over it. The rest of his team's really great of like, Hey, like no one's mad at anyone, but yes, he has to leave and that's fine. And he's chill with it. So we're going to go on. It's not, no one's fault here. Like, don't, don't be mad at yourself for, for that. You were totally in the right. And so it's a big moment though. It's someone getting kicked off for violence, which is the second time now in the show's history that it has happened. And so it's a big, big moment and they, they're way more quick. They clearly learned from, uh, the Christian Ayana situation and previously even from the Los and Piggy situation and from everything that went down with Puck on Ballad Sexes 1. They were ready this time. They were like, I don't care how it came about, how it happened. You slapped slash punched him in the face. You're done instantly right now, no matter what anyone says. You're done and there's no thinking about it. The moment it happens, boom, it's done. We're all we're moving on. We're going to continue the daily challenge while you pack and leave. But it's a big, big moment. It's a memorable one and they kind of lead the reunion with it. It's a big deal. But the fourth and final nominee for the moment, iconic moment of the season, and we'll just go ahead and say from the start, is the winner of the award is episode 16, the two-part Mark sacrifices himself in the men throw the daily mission unbeknownst to the women. So let's set the stage here. There's five guys left, right? There's Brad, Mark, Eric, Dan, and Theo on the men's side. Those five are left. And that is when the the Brad exit happens where he's a little upset because, you know, Mark and Eric clearly, you know, Eric was at the bottom and Mark found a way to use his friendship and his leadership to be like, no, Eric should be in this spot, which means he's going to be safe and can't be voted out. And now Brad's going. So with that as a backdrop, they're now in their final four. And Dan and Theo a little bit are like, oh, dang, like, like Mark and Eric, you know, or Mark and Eric and they're like best buds. And so like, it's, one way or the other, we probably feel like it's going to be one of us. But uh, on the flip side, the opposite is going on. Mark and Eric go out and they throw the football around in a great little moment of the season. They're just having to, having a catch with each other, talking about being good friends and everything. And they agree that, you know what, Dan and Theo have been the best people on our team all season long. They deserve to be there. We've both got stuff going on, you know, in our lives. We'll both be okay if we don't win this money or whatever. So, one of us should be the one that goes home. And they decide, they go right to Dan and Theo prior to the final daily challenge. And they're like, hey, one of the two of us will go home. You two are in the final, no matter what. We just want you to know that. Big hugs all around. It's a really, really cool moment. Then it goes a big, big step further. They get to the daily challenge. And when they get there, again, format of the season is there's two, at this point, two team captains for each team. If your team wins the daily challenge, those team captains are safe and pick one of the other people to go home. If your team loses, one of the non-captains picks one of the captains to go home from the game. And again, at this point, the men had won 12 out of 14. They get to the last challenge. They're feeling confident about it. And so when they have to pick their team captains, they decide, Mark and Eric and the whole team kind of have a little chat, and they decide, you know what? Mark, you should be a team captain. We're going to win, and Eric will be the one to go home. And Eric's chill about it. He's like, yep, that's how it'll be. Mark, you're the captain. If we win, you, I'll go home. If we were to lose, you'll go home. Either way, Dan and Theo, you're good, but we'll probably Eric's probably going to go home. So they pick their captains. But when the captains are announced, Arissa is announced as a captain for the female team. 
and it's Arissa and Coral with Tina and Sophia on the outside. And that means that if the guys win, Arissa is going home. And they know that the women have planned this out. The, the women thinking, you know, we've lost all these, so we want the person we want to go home, which the four of them kind of decided it was Arissa. Well, let's make her captain. When we lose, we can then send her home, have the best team for the final. The men see this, and in particular, Mark sees this. And before they start, he pulls them all aside. He says, you know what, guys? Who would you rather have in the final? Would you rather have Tina here or Arissa here? Or excuse me, Sophia here or Arissa? Or uh, yeah, I believe that's the two that he's, uh, no, Tina or Arissa at that point. Um, and they all say, you know, it would be better for us. Tina's a lot better, I think. So Arissa, we'd rather have Arissa here. And Mark's like, yeah, so we should lose. And we'll lose. And it's okay. I'll go home. But you guys will have an even better shot at winning the final mission. They go back and forth on, do you really want to do that? And Mark's like, yes, Eric, you should be in the final. Let's lose. Let's lose on purpose, but let's not let them know. And they go ahead and do that. The competition is that they have to walk out on a little beam and get to the end of the beam and stand on this pedestal, like 20-some stories in the air, and whoever can stand there the longest without falling off wins. And all four dudes take a dive, and they all four take a dive quickly during their heats, and it's... You know, knowing what's going on, it's obvious. I don't know how obvious it is in the moment because they do it. Some of them do a good acting job. Others don't. Eric does not do a good acting job. Mark, so-so. Mm, he could get rehired, maybe. Theo and Dan are very good actors in the moment. It, it's not obvious when they do it. Um, and But the women have no idea. They have no idea that it's happening. They think they've just won. And so they celebrate. And they're like, I can't believe we won another thing. And then they realize, ah, oh, damn it, like, that means Sophia or Tina has to go and not Arissa, but all right, we won. That's really, really cool. And we eventually, they get to the reunion, and the reunion, they bring it up right away. Did you guys know? Sophia tries to say at that reunion that she knew that it was obvious, and Coral is immediate to be like, oh, hell no. We didn't fucking know a thing. They totally got us. Let's not try to act like we did. It's clear on the tape that we didn't, and we they totally fooled us. So, it's the first time anyone's thrown a mission for, it's not the first time anyone's thrown a mission. There was a lot of that on the previous two seasons, but they throw a mission without the other team knowing and gaining that advantage versus it respectfully to Arissa for this particular season. Tina would have been better in the final, not that it probably ultimately would have mattered a lot, but who knows, maybe she would have found that key in the haystack a lot quicker. And uh, they just totally don't know. And it's this big gesture by Mark to be like, my buddy Eric, I want you to win. I want Dan and Theo to win. I've done these before. I've got other stuff going on, and I'm going to I'm gonna lay down on the sword. I'm going to take it for the team, and I'm going to get my best buddy into the final, and I'm going to give him and my other buddies here the best chance to win. It's this huge moment. It's wonderful. It's show, I mean, it's, it's everything that Mark Long is. Just what an unbelievable guy. And it's the moment of the season for me. It's the moment I will remember the most. It is definitely... Uh, you know, it's an elongated moment. It's, you know, over the course of two thirds of the episode of half of the episode, at least, um, basically the entire episode is cause it starts with Eric and Mark throwing the football around and it ends with Mark saying his goodbyes and telling them, you know, good luck in the final. So that entire moment is the best moment of the season. The most iconic moment of the season hats off to Mark long all time. Great guy. Then we've got our best episode, a quick and easy award to get through here. Nominee number one, Pop Culture Bike Jump. That's episode 11. It had the best daily challenge. It has some of the Tanya-Theo relationship. It has 
a lot of the Eric's jump rope backstory, which just a quick side note to fill you in. The jump rope is a huge part of the whole season. Eric at all times this season has his jump rope with him, although it seems like he has three or four. And, you know, the jump rope first meeting is you have to be holding this to talk on the guy's team. He's always wearing it around his head. He's got one. He's warming up with it at every daily challenge. It's always with him. It's stolen at one point, and that becomes a big theme. Um, And so there's a lot of that in this episode. The list is in this episode. The women's side, they make a list to try to draw up the performances, and it causes Tanya to get a little paranoid, a little worried. It leads to a Tanya versus Tina little argument that's good. Veronica goes home in this episode. A lot's going down. Pop culture bike jump. Second nominee, Cast a Spell, episode 13. This is where Steven gets sent home. Um, This episode has some Tina versus Tanya and Tanya going home and a club scene that's interesting. Uh, So a lot going on. Cast a Spell, episode 13. And then the third and final nominee, Melt With You, episode 4. This one has the daily challenge we talked about, rubbing up on the ice block. This is when Vets versus Rookies really becomes a thing, and Adam gets eliminated, and him and Brad have the conversation about the Rookies versus the Vets, and this has the a wonderful little moment of Coral saying out loud, I am passing the torch to Tina. Tina, you are the new person who cusses other people out on your own team. Here you go, and it's a wonderful little moment after Tina yells at a few different people, I believe. So those were your three best episodes of the season, but if I have to pick only one, the highest rated of the season is Pop Culture Bike Jump, episode number 11. That brings us to the biggest and best and most illustrious of the awards, the season MVP. Who is going to join the list of greats? Who is going to be the ninth person to have their name thrown on a full season MVP trophy Let's work our way up to talking about the actual top five, the actual ballot, and the eventual winner. Let's start, as we have been doing, with the first section, the where were you's, the people that you would think, looking at this season of, yeah, everything was there for you to make a run at this trophy. Where were you? There's three people that fall in that category for me. First one, Cynthia, former MVP, Road Rules All-Star, season one, MVP, Cynthia Roberts, Borderline no-shows in six episodes of the season. It's like she's not even there, which is a huge bummer. Glad we've got to see her recently come back into the All-Stars world. And again, former MVP, one of the all-time wonderful seasons in that first ever season, the first ever MVP. But when a former MVP walks into the game and kind of no-shows, you got to mention it on the where, were you? Then, speaking of, hasn't actually taken home the MVP before, but has come damn close. That is Mike the Miz Mizanin. Just doesn't kind of have, doesn't really have it on this season. It's something about either the haircut all short. Uh, he's at this point, I believe, is when he's like hard, hard, hard into the training for pro wrestling and is doing the camps and the the training grounds for that. And I think that might have be having an effect on just his like energy levels and everything else. But the haircut, he doesn't get a girlfriend on this season. Kind of loses his mojo. Doesn't make the final. Doesn't perform great. Uh, you know, throughout the few episodes he's there. And so it's the first time of the four-season run where it's not just the Mike show, the Mike and Coral. It's still the Coral show. More on her soon enough. But Mike doesn't quite have it this season. Wondering a little bit, where were you? Then there's Dan. I love Dan so much. Dan is one of the unsung heroes of the early days of this show. Two-time champ now. Uh, three-time finalist. Could him and Theo both kind of as a pair... Really, if they just could have got that puzzle on Battle of the Seasons, could have been three-time champs. Dan could have been a three-for-three, you know, only ever had one really 
really set a bar. I love Dan so much. He's such a joy on his seasons. He's such a fun character to have around, but he's really not present for this one. As for being one of the final six people, not a lot of confessionals, not really involved in a lot of storylines. He does have a couple moments where he pops up and you're like, God, I love this guy so much, but he's not really there. It's kind of where were you from him? So those were you where were you? Then are gone too soon. So made a big impact. Definitely, if, if they would have made the same impact and stayed for the entire season, they would have been in the running for this MVP. That would be Ace. Ace, hilarious moment when he leaves second and saying, last first time around, voted off first. Second time around, voted off second. Next time, I'm going to be voted out third. You wait, which he would eventually be voted out first again. But he would eventually make one final as well. But Ace is the life of the party the first few days they're there. He's having a great time, lots of laughs, lots of fun. But then he leaves second episode and so third episode technically and so uh you know gone much too soon to ever be in the running for an mvp same with abram abram performs great the first daily challenge which i classify as a individual daily challenge not a team one abram is one of the two people that wins that individual one so he's performing really well at times he's got the relationship with coral he's got some confessionals the whole thing but then he goes home you know episode what four episode five episode four so you know, gone way too soon to ever get any votes for the MVP. Same with Rachel Robinson. This is this is not her coming out party um, on the challenge. She's impact player every season. She's been on this now her third, but it's the first one where she was definitely in the running for MVP consideration right up until she goes home pretty early in episode seven. So much too soon to get some real nominees. So Ace, Abram, Rachel, the gone too soons, the could have definitely were in the running in the few short episodes they were there but eliminated too soon to come anywhere near making the final five our ballot of mvp award vote getters for this season in reverse order working our way to the winner fifth place ends up being tanya tanya has a big season for sure she ends up going out fourth to last on the women's side so she makes the top seven for the women out of the 18 impact player the whole time she's got a romance with theo she's living it up living her best life she's also causing you know either causing or openly reacting to the some of the little drama that goes down on the women's team she is a little nervous at a lot of different times leading to her and tina you know kind of going at it different times but she's also kicking ass so even though tina's kind of mad at her they can't get rid of her because they're like you are one of our better players so she lasts a long time she's doing a lot she's providing a lot tanya is the fifth place mvp vote getter then in fourth place in it's really fourth, third, and second, and first. I mean, this is a this is a season that is a really difficult season to pick the actual MVP. But unlike, say, the prior season, the Inferno, where it was like, is it Coral, is it Katie? Because they're both the MVP of this season. They both put up surefire, 100%, no doubt about it, MVP caliber seasons, and then you got to pick one. This season, there's four people who are all on equal, like, it feels close to an MVP season. It doesn't feel fully, though, like anyone got there, but someone has to, right? And so, you know, it, we respectfully still great seasons, but it is one of those where it's like it's a really hard decision, but not because we have two or three people who's like any given season they could win the MVP. It's we've got four people who got close and I feel like gave us 90% of an MVP season, and we got to pick between those four. And I had a really hard time 
trying to make sure I took my personal bias out. I'm a big fan of Theo Vaughn on the challenge, and he's we're going to slot him in at fourth, but I really thought about naming him the MVP of this season. But we're going to slot him in at fourth and really kind of a joint a tie with second and third. They kind of all three, the three I didn't pick over and choose, chose one person over the other three. But Theo, he's on the guys' team, so... You know, they dominate the whole season. He's on the one of the ones that wins in the end. He is hands down the best player on the guys' team, hands down. And more on that in, you know, way in the future when we finally do real historical breakdowns, we're one day going to do a full-blown, like, who are the top 25 male players ever, female players ever. And Theo Vaughn's going to be pretty high on that list for how good he is at this stuff in the early days of this show. He's the best player hands down again this season and doing a bunch of random wacky stuff. He's got the romance with Tanya. Uh, He's the only male who offers up any real comedy or uh, in the confessionals. So he's got a lot going for him. He makes the ballot. He's kind of in a tie with Tina who Tina confessional queen of the season no doubt performs great all season no doubt is willing to speak her mind this is potentially tina's best season ever arguably as far as how she performed how you know the leadership role she takes uh, again getting some classic tina getting in arguments and easily winning those arguments just by the fact of being tina and being better at arguing and yelling than the other person is regardless of what they're even talking about or who may be right tina's bringing it tina's awesome she's high impact and as we said Earlier on, you know, the guy's side's kind of boring, so there's not a lot going on. So similar to Battle of Sexes 1, this one is as much as, you know, the guys are winning everything uh, and eventually win the whole thing, the women are the one who are, like, the focus of the, the whole show because there's at least something going on with their team. There's at least some suspense, some drama, some something. So Tina makes it, as does Coral. And this was really came down to could Coral have won back-to-back MVPs and be the first ever two-time MVP? Yes. There's an argument for it, and the argument looks like this. The argument is Coral this season, uh, the while Tina's the confessional queen because of the quality of the content, when it comes down to qu- quantity, Coral has 67 confessionals this season. The next highest is Tina at 42. Coral has 50% more confessionals than the second person does. She has four per episode to the next highest being two and a half. I mean... It is outrageous how much this show focuses on her. She's doing the narration. She is the focus of all the story on the women's team at all times. She's also kicking ass at the challenges back to gone as Inferno Coral, not, you know, or struggling a little bit more, or excuse me, Gauntlet Coral, struggling a little bit back is kick-ass Battle of the Seasons, just kick-ass Coral that we know and love. Absolutely dominating. Big, big argument to say she is the MVP of the season, but... In the end, I didn't, I couldn't, I just, I didn't feel right giving the MVP to anyone on the women's team just by de facto of, you you know, a lot of the MVP winners that have come in the first eight seasons are not on the winning team, but the winning team isn't always as dominant as it is this season, and it just didn't feel right in a close call between two people and really four to say that Coral and someone on the women's team is going to get it over someone who kind of had an equal season but was on the guys team and won 12 and makes the big sacrifice and that is the godfather himself mark long and it also just feels right that mark long should have a season mvp to his name and he's deserving and yeah theo tina coral mark tough call between all four of them but 
We go with Mark Long. He edges it out. He gets a little more, a few more votes. You know, is a few more second and third place votes versus ever being in a fourth or fifth on some of the ballots. You know how the scoring works. He ends up adding up and getting the win. He is on the men's team. The men's team dominates the whole season. They win 12 out of the 15. And again, they threw the last one. So they easily potentially could have won 13 out of 15, but they won 12. He is the leader of that team. While he doesn't end up there at the end to get the final win, he is the de facto leader of the team, no doubt about it. The team doesn't operate the way that it does without Mark and Eric setting the tone from minute one, being the, you know, the the God, he wasn't known as the godfather then, but he was looked to as the, you guys were the day one. You are the OGs. If any, where anyone's going to listen, we're going to listen to anyone. It's going to be you because you're also happen to be great guys and really nice and really awesome. And we like hanging out with you and you're good at this, but also you're Mark Long and Eric's so like, we're going to listen to you. And he's every season he's on up to this point. This is now his fourth season competing add in a fifth because he hosted one with Eric battle seasons. And he's the leader of the whole cast every season that he's on. It happens every time. You can tell every time that he's, if anyone has to be the point person of the cast in, you know, either with Johnny, the host or with production or anything like that, it's Mark. They all look to him as like that person who's kind of the dad of the place. Then he's got the romance with Robin. So he's adding into storylines with that. He does have the most confessionals of any male in the cast with 35. He makes the big, big sacrifice at the end, has the moment of the season, has this unbelievably great guy moment. All of that wrapped up. The Godfather has to take home the award. So he's already got it nowadays, got his crown, but now we're handing him an award as well. He deserves many more awards in the future. This guy, someone, please, the challenge has never gotten any award recognition at the Emmys for any anything. It's always just Survivor, Big Brother, or whatever. All-stars, 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 all-stars. Can there, is there a producer of the year? Can he not have gotten some Emmy Award for that? So here's to hoping he gets more hardware in the future, some real legitimate stuff. But for the time being, we'll hold him over by saying Mark Long, The Godfather, MVP, Season 9, Battle of the Sexes 2. MVP has been handed out, which leads us to our final topic of discussion. We must grade the season. We must put it in the pantheon, we must, you know, put it up on the wall for all of history to bear witness and to eventually place it in the order that it will be in the greatest seasons of all time. How does every season stack up versus each other? It's got to have a grade. So, as a grade and a way of somewhat recapping parts of the season here and everything we've talked about on this lengthy podcast today, let's go through it. As always, four subcategories that, while they don't add up an exact average, help give us work our way to our overall grade for the season. Those four subcategories are the female cast, the male cast, the sport grade, and the show grade, the two pillars of the show and the two pillars of the cast, the two halves of the cast. Those four grades individually, let's walk through them before we get to our overall grade and where it slots in the history of the show. So let's start as we always do with the female cast. The female cast on this side, pulling back up the list here, we went with a B plus rating for the female cast, which puts it just shy of the absolute great female cast of that have come before, like a gauntlet or a battle of the sexes one or a challenge 2000, but in very good, very high territory. 
on of that female cast, the real the real thing that holds us out of the A category because just on face value, if we didn't know how many episodes each of these people were in or anything, this this cast could definitely get a higher rating. And you're going to notice some symmetry between the female cast and the male cast breakdown, but one is a little higher than the other, and it's because of who went home when. Because on the female cast, we had our heavy hitters of Coral, Tina, Ruthie, Robin, and Tanya, all heavy hitters in the challenge world, all made it long, if not to the end of this season. Those are big names. That's a lot of star power. You then also have the heavy hitters that were just gone early on the season. Veronica, Anissa, Katie, Rachel. I mean, that list right there, those those nine, Coral, Tina, Ruthie, Robin, Tanya, Veronica, Anissa, Katie, Rachel, that's some star power for sure. But four of them were gone very early in the game. Then you had the solid contributors, Ayana, Kina, Abyss. And then you had... Six people that you know we're gonna we're gonna start labeling as the dud category. No disrespect meant by it, um, but you know the folks that didn't really work out as being eventually you know either having a big impact on this particular season or eventually as we would look back and be like, holy shit, that cast had this person in it too. The duds being kind of Arissa, Sophia, Angela, Cynthia, Cameron, Genesis never really would go on to make a huge mark. And a lot of those folks we just mentioned, Arissa and Sophia, get to the end. Um, you know, and you know, some the couple of the others were eliminated early, but overall, a stacked cast that had some of the heavy hitters go home early, some make it to the end, some of the kind of more dud like players make it to the end, which drags the rating down just a touch, but a B plus on the female cast. Then over on the male cast, a similar story, but with the heavy hitters making it to the end, which gives leads them to an A minus for the male cast, is what we're gonna go with. You add Eric. Theo, Mark, Dan, Brad, and Shane, not only six heavy hitter, all-star legends of the game, that was the final six people that were left for that team, so we got as much of them as we could. Then you had the heavy hitters that were gone a little early. You had Mike, you had Abram, you had Derek, you have Adam King. Again, now we're up to 10 10 big names out of an 18-person cast. That's pretty crazy. Solid contributors and Randy, Frank, and Ace. And then the only duds really being Steven, Nick, Chris, Sean, and Jacques. They all, you know, Jacques went home first. Sean went home like third or fourth. Chris and Nick and Steven pretty quick after. And again, the fact that we got to the final six were Eric, Theo, Mark, Dan, Brad, Shane. Like, that's incredible. So A- minus on the male cast side, which puts it as, you know, right, right behind the Inferno. We gave an A for the male cast and Real World Road Rules Season 2. A, retroactively should mention that as I was looking back and trying to figure where does this compare to others to help me give the grade, um, we're going to retroactively downgrade Battle of the Seasons from an A male cast to a B plus. I think we got a little excited that season and how many people there were. We went from 13 to 32, and so it felt like, hey, look how many big-time names we have because there's so many people here, and now that we've done a few more seasons with a similar amount of people showing up, we're realizing that we may have given that one much too high of a grade. So retroactive downgrade battle of the seasons, A to B plus on the male cast side, just keeping us honest here. Then on the sport grade side, had to go with a C plus. Again, no elimination, so that you know lowers it a little bit. There was a handful of really cool daily challenges. Um, I liked the daily challenges overall, but it's just it wasn't competitive. And so uh, and there was not a lot of suspense in a lot of those, and it became kind of this a little bit monotonous, repetitive thing. And there wasn't even like the drama of like, you know, I'm glad the guys weren't douchebags in victory. Um, they were, you know, very kind in victory and whatnot, but 
at least that would have been dramatic, you know, and it would have been something maybe of more interesting television and whatnot. And so C plus is as high as we could go for a season with no eliminations and some cool dailies, but no real competition to speak of. So C plus there. And then the show grade as well as C plus. All the makings were there. It just it just doesn't fully happen. It's you know, you you bought you got all the ingredients to cook a great loaf of bread, but you just something here, there, the little things, marginal things, you don't realize they're going wrong until that bread comes out of the oven and it ain't good looking bread and you don't want to eat it. Um, you know, the guys being so congenial is again, it's awesome. I'm literally like proud of this cast of men. <laughs> proud of the old cast on this season, but the proud of the male cast for like how they went about this season, and how cool it seemed, how good of an atmosphere it was, and everything else. Um, but the no drama means, you know, yeah, we get some nice heartwarming, nice moments, which I do really enjoy. Um, but, uh, it also means that it kind of gets a little boring at times and it kind of gets to be where like, do we have any storylines for this episode? Like oh, the guys won the daily challenge again. Okay. But it wasn't dramatic. No one acted out anything. No one did anything like crazy cool. And so that when guys aren't really doing anything, everyone knows who's going home when it just kind of adds to it at times, just kind of dragging and being a little more boring. And then, you know, the most memorable moment is either Steven Slap or Mark Sacrifice, which are biggish moments. And like, I love, love, love Mark Sacrifice is the reason I got, he gave him the award for the iconic moment of the season. But we're coming off the Inferno, which has, you know, we said four different, two for sure, like true top of mind, iconic, like these are battling out for some of the most memorable moments in challenge history, plus two others that even probably get into that bracket. Now this season, it feels like a letdown. So all of that adds up to a C plus for the show grade. All of those together, B plus female cast, A minus male cast, C plus, C plus, show grade and sport grade leads us to an overall grade for this season of a C plus, which is still on the positive side of the equation um, and is, should be said, is better than Battle of the Sexes 1. The sequel was better than the original, but that's because the original is currently the lowest rated season of all time at this point, nine seasons in at a C minus um, for a lot of different reasons that we talked about. You can go back and listen to that podcast if you so want to and desire. But it does mean Battle of the Sexes for sure, one and two as a franchise combined as you know, a sequel trilogy, whatever, as you know, one of the ones that they redid multiple times over. It's the worst franchise of of the different ones. You know, uh, Fresh Meat's better, Duel's better, Inferno's better, Gauntlet's better, Rivals is better, X's is better. All the other, all the other ones they did multiple times end up being a lot better. But they figured a lot of things out on this season. And the other thing about saying this season is a C plus, which uh, slots it in above Battle of the Sexes one and in a tie then with Extreme Challenge season four and All Stars season one. So, you know, in a group tie there for, you know, at the bottoms of the rankings of these nine. But it's a low variance C, which means, meaning that almost every episode is enjoyable of this season. It doesn't have the like complete bombs, the bad episodes, the bad parts, the ugly moments where you're like, oh, like I, I don't, I can't, I don't even want to rewatch that episode because like that happened and it was gross and I don't like it, and I don't like thinking about it, or whatever. It has none of that. It just doesn't have the great moments, the pops, the really amazing stuff. And so every episode is kind of like that, like C plus, B minus, like. Yeah, this is good. I had a good time. I never, I always want to click, I want to continue rewatching. I'm, I'm enjoying this and I'm especially, I think it might be a little different men versus women watching this season, interestingly enough, of I personally definitely had those feelings of like, it would be so much fun to be on this guy's team of like how 
fun of an atmosphere it is being in that house. Like they seem to just be having such a great time and making such real meaningful relationships and friendships. It's so cool. So maybe that even adds into like, I was always just content, but it's a C plus and that's, that's what it's gotta be. I will say final remark on it. This cast in another format, I think could, could have produced a truly awesome season because again, we, the cast ratings were high for a reason. There's a lot of great people of, you know, especially when compared to, you know, Battle of Sexes 1 when they had 36 people as well. Those cast ratings, I guess, similar A minus and B compared to B plus and A minus here. But a lot of people going home early. Same thing, you know, on a Battle of the Seasons, maybe a comparably stacked cast, but a lot of people go home early. And then other other seasons so far, the Gauntlet had an A female, but only a B on the male. The Inferno had an A male, B on the female. So, this is maybe one of our best cast ever uh, t- in total and in the right season where it's not battle of the sexes, maybe whatever it could be. If this was teams, if this was Inferno and they did a good guys, bad guys, if this was real world road rules, actually looking at the two teams, I think road rules still wins because the guys, especially the guys road rules team would smoke the guys real world team, the female side. I think it would be fairly even real world, the road rules. So Either way, though, the cast, the potential was there. just wasn't the right format for this cast to excel. wasn't the right circumstances. It's a C plus. That's where it goes. For now, all of these grades are, you know, they're final, but they're, they're not, you know. One day I might, as we just did, retroactively change one particular grade for a past season. We'll, we'll get better. We'll, get, we'll learn what the grading rubric really is. And when all's said and done and every season has been given a grade, we will put them in a ranked order. We'll do a whole podcast about it, probably maybe two. Who knows? maybe some videos, whatnot, we will go back and maybe make sure everything was spot on right and ink that over in pen. But that is where this season goes. And that is where the end of the line for this podcast is. We have talked at length about everything Battle of the Sexes 2. It has been a great time. I thank you so much for being here and enjoying it all with me. With that, we will be moving into a new phase, a very exciting phase of the rewatch series, which is the phase where the seasons are on Paramount Plus and you can watch along with me without trying to find anything on any sketchy websites or any links somewhere out on Reddit or anything like that. Starting next season that we cover will be season 10, The Inferno 2, which is available on Paramount Plus. No ads here. I am not sponsored by them, although I feel like at some point they've got to throw that my way. If you're listening Please do, folks, at Paramount Plus. But officially, you can start binging along with us with that Paramount Plus subscription. So head on over there. Get those fired up because we will be back within the next one to two weeks, probably next Friday, maybe the Monday after. We'll see how things work out with our Inferno 2 breakdown. Moving in to season number 10. We will be doing over the course of this weekend, pending when you're listening to this podcast, a bunch of content about Battle of the Sexes to a bunch of clips and moments and all kinds of things shared on the Instagram page at Challenges Story. And of course, they will be saved in a highlight forever on there. If you missed any former seasons and you want to relive old seasons without actually binging the whole thing, easy way to do so. Head to Challenges Story and on Instagram, on our profile, the highlights, season by season, tons of clips, tons of recaps, tons of jokes, tons of stuff like that. Follow us there. Follow this podcast, YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening. Hit the follow, hit the subscribe, hit the like, hit the five-star rating, all the good stuff. Thank you so much for doing that. Send your feedback if you want to via the comments on YouTube, DM on Instagram, either one. Love to hear from you. Thank you one more time for being here. We will talk to you again next week when we're back for some more All-Stars 3 coverage. Until then, peace.